Hello, my name is Blair Murphy and this is The Bishop's Office, a podcast where I talk to members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about their conversion, missionary service and life experiences. In this, the second part of my conversation with Ted Phipps about his conversion, he shares a few stories as examples of ways the gospel blesses his life. I hope you enjoy. Um, as you look back on your life since joining the church, are there, have there been times when you've really felt like you've needed to rely on the Lord or you've needed the guidance that the gospel gives you? Many times. Mm. So I was the head of the Land Commission in South Australia and we just had a, we'd had a change of government and I had the skids under me because I was associated with the policies of the previous government. If you're seen in that way and the new government's pretty tough-minded, you can be gone. They call it the night of the long knives when there's a change. Anyhow, I was at a priesthood leadership meeting not long after I'd been baptised with Elder Dunn. And he said in this priesthood leadership meeting, he said, if you have a problem in your life at this present time, it might be a problem in your marriage, might be a problem in your work, might be some other serious problem. He said, I can prom- I promise you that if you bring someone into the church, that that problem will be resolved. I thought, well, I mean, I've got a real problem. <laughs> I've got the skids under me. Who can I'm, I baptise quick? <laughs> and I'm really glad to have that promise. So I'll have to work on this. About one week later, Elder Dunn wrote me a letter. He said, Brother Phipps, there's a brother over in Western Australia. His name was Graham Stanley. He said he lives in Bunbury. Now that is about 2,700 kilometres from here. He said, Brother Stanley's situation reminds me very much of yours. He said he's a realtor, you know, a real estate agent. Well, mm-hmm. I was in the Land Commission, right? So mm-hmm. in similar types of business. Different, but in the same general area. He said his wife is a member of the church and he's not. And his family, his parents are opposed to him becoming a church and they've got two children and his wife would very much like him to be a member of the church. Similar situation to yours. I want you to write to him and tell him why he should become a member of the church. But this letter I said to Margaret, is Elder Dunn crazy? He wants me to write to this stranger who lives, you know, almost 3,000 kilometres away that I've never met before, and he wants me to tell him why he should join the church. And he's a realtor. You know, he's a real estate agent. He'll never pay tithing. Apology to all real estate <laughs> agents. <laughs> and because uh, we'd had a bad experience in Melbourne. Not Those money-hungry <laughs> scoundrels. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, I just said, no, Elder Dunn is crazy. So I just put it on the back burner. But after about two weeks, the guilt and the responsibility weighed on me. So I made a decision. I took a day's annual leave from work, Mm. came home and started writing the letters. I started about nine o'clock in the morning. I finished at six o'clock at night and I encountered difficulties with regard to the letter. And uh, like, you know, it came to me that his parents would be really opposed just imagine in this large country town where they were a preeminent family mm. this was going to be a difficulty with the attitude of the parents so I, I went away and prayed and it came to me exactly what I should say in the letter it came to me that I should 
talk about the example that he would set and the change that would come into his life and the life of his family and how his parents would be able to see this very clearly and it would mellow their attitudes. Where does this faith come from? Why did you think that you could pray and ask that question and get that guidance in your life in a real, very real and tangible way? That's a good question and I believe the question really is answered by the influence of the Holy Ghost on the day of my conversion. Mm. That what happened to me when I was converted, it was like the difference between night and day. Mm. I'd never had those feelings before. So I knew absolutely that deciding to follow God and Christ in this way was absolutely based on their personal involvement in my life. Mm. So I had absolute faith that here was a general authority of the church, leader of the church, asking me to do something in faith, which was a good thing, which mm. would change the life of someone else. And I had absolute faith that Heavenly Father would want to help me in that. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the letter and at the end of the day, it wasn't that long, it was six full pages mm -hmm. or six and a half pages long, really carefully thought out and prayed about. And I said to Margaret, I was quite confident about the letter, so I said to her, when Brother Stanley receives this letter, he will either read it and put it in the bin or he will get baptised. Mm. Now, I said Elder Dunn was a man of few words. Oh, I sent him a copy of the letter so that he knew, despite my procrastination, I had eventually sent it. Two weeks later, I got a letter from Elder Dunn, which I think had about three lines in it. <laughs> said, Brother Phipps, your letter must have helped. Brother Stanley got baptised last week. <laughs> I said to Margaret, after all my work. <laughs> he could have gushed a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So I knew it was Heavenly Father's work and how inspired was Elder done. Yeah. A day later, I got a letter from Brother Stanley's wife saying how thankful they were that they, the letter, she said, it just saved them. That's just saved them in so many ways. And then a day later, I got a letter from Graham Stanley saying, I read the letter. I decided to get baptised at the end of the week on the Saturday. He said, it got to Friday and I was beginning to hum and ha again. He said, I'm out in the driveway washing the car, beginning to have the doubts. Will I get baptised or won't I? And then I heard this sound, hi, Brother Stanley. And he said it was two missionaries walking up the driveway. And he said he got baptised on the Saturday. Now, it was a wonderful change for him in his life. You know, he, they only had two children. They were going to be a nuclear family. I think they finished up having six children. Oh, wow. He became a bishop and a high councilman. And his son finished up serving in the Kaohsiung mission of Taiwan. Oh, really? Whilst we were there in the uh -huh. Taipei mission. We were at a conference in Hong Kong and the mission president, Gao Xiong, said to me, Oh, President, we've got an Australian in our mission. His name's Elder Stanley. He's from Bunbury, Western Australia. Do you know him? <laughs> and I said, wow. And then I told him the story. So he went back and told young Elder Stanley what had happened. Elder Stanley wrote off to his mum and asked for a copy of the letter that I had oh, sent. Oh, wow. The letter arrived um, on Christmas Eve. Yeah. In Gaoshan. And he said it was the best Christmas president he'd ever had mm -hmm. to see how his father came into the church. So we're only halfway through the story because what's happened is I've been helpful in bringing someone into the church. So it's now time for me 
you get the second part of the promise. Mm. So here I am as the head of the Land Commission. I was still head of the Land Commission nominally, but I'd been transferred to be the head of the Division of Planning in the Urban and Regional Affairs Department in South Australia, which was still a good good thing. It was you know, a very senior position and it meant that I was surviving you know, politically, but I would never get back to the Land Commission as the head, that was for sure. And they were forming a new Department of Environment and Planning. They were amalgamating the Department of Urban and Regional Affairs in South Australia with the Department for the Environment to form the Department of Environment and Planning. And this work was being overseen by the head of the Engineering and Water Supply Department, a very preeminent public servant by the name of Keith Lewis. So I knew that it was sort of risk on for me. I really had to do my very best as the head of this division in planning. We had a new minister, new government and everything. So it was a blessing that I was made the head of this division. And then I I thought, well, gee, this division's going to disappear eventually. I think I've really got to try my best. So I tried to implement all of the policies of the government. You know, be real. I did my very best and I, and I am sure it was noticed. I prayed that I might come to know the new minister. I remember praying one night and it came into my mind that if I'd be there early, because I was on the same floor as the minister, we would meet in the lift. Mm. You know, it just came to me so clearly. Mm. Next morning, I'm in there at 8 a.m., step out of the lift, and who do I bump into stepping out of the other lift? The minister. So this happened so many times, I just kept on doing it. And the minister, you know, we got developed quite a relationship in small talk outside mm. the lift. But I was there before anyone else. Mm. So at least he knew I was conscientious and I was approachable and mm. talkable. And because I was really pushing things to conform with the policies of the new government in my division of planning, I was definitely being noticed by the, the guy organising the restructuring. So in the end, the new Department of Environment and Planning was formed and it was a great department. It was responsible for all of the planning of urban and regional South Australia, all of the coastal protection in South Australia, all of the environment protection, all of the national parks, everything environmental, you know, pollution management, all of those things. So it was really a, a great, excellent department. And it got to the point where I, I applied for it. You know, I was mm. hoping that I would get at least a senior position in it. And one day the minister called me up and said, Ted, you are in the short list of two. There are two people competing for this position and uh, I'm going to interview you um, up at my place on Tuesday night and I will interview the other applicant who I can't tell you his name and I'll interview him on the Wednesday night and we'll see who gets the job. Come Tuesday night, 4.30, called my home teachers over and uh, I called John Stevens up. I said, John, I've got this job interview tonight. I need a blessing. So this was 4.30 in the afternoon. Fortunately, he was home and his colleague, Greg Brown, was home also. So they came over to my place and they gave me a blessing. I don't remember a single word John said, Mm. except it came into my mind very clearly who my competitor was in the interview. Mm. It came to me that he was the uh, the chief of a national white goods manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So he would have been very well connected and versed in private sector ethics and people and everything. And the fact that he got to this point meant that he was, he was well regarded. Mm. So I knew that. And this just came to me in a prompting. I'd never met him. 
didn't even know they had a general manager, didn't know anything about their structure. And I just accepted it as absolute truth. So armed with who my competitor was, I went off to the interview. And that's really useful information. Mm. So I started off, the, the minister asked me, Ted, tell me why you should get this job. And I said, well, minister, I said, you've probably got a choice in the way you can go. I said, you could perhaps, um, you know, take someone from the, you know, in the private sector and, you know, uh, someone who's well regarded, for example, you know, like the head of the National White Goods Manufacturing. Mm-hmm. The minister did nearly fall off his chair, mm-hmm. but I knew what I was saying was true. Yeah. And I said, on the other hand, um, you know, I've had experience in the private sector, you know, with mining companies like Rio Tinto and the North West and with the federal government in their land programs and uh, with the state government and I've got an MBA and mm. uh, so, I'm, you know, I know all about the imperatives of business. So I went on with this, just painting the contrast and the advantage that I had. And the interview went well, I went home, interviewed the other person the next night and I was praying that night or the night before and it came to me that I had the job I was really excited I knew I had the job but I didn't dare tell anyone <laughs> I was only 99% sure not 100% yeah, that's right. and um, anyhow on the Thursday morning the minister, or Friday morning the minister called me in and I was really nervous mm. I was very grim faced very nervous went in, he extended his hand and said, you know, congratulations, you are the first Director General of the new Department of Environment and Planning. Wow. So, looking back, Elder Dunn had made this amazing promise. If you bring someone into the church, a problem you have at work will be resolved. So I finished up on the shortlist and through the Holy Ghost, when receiving a priesthood blessing from my home teachers, it was revealed to me who my competitor was, mm. which was a distinct advantage. And that really started a period of 20 years for me of being consecutively the head of five different government agencies in South Australia. Mm. So I really had a great career. So the gospel was life-changing for me in a career sense, mm. certainly. What I love about that particular experiences it's not until we learn the applicability of the gospel in our everyday lives that we really start to extract the value of it right so we can go to church and we can feel good on Sunday right that's great I'm glad glad we can have that opportunity but until we realize that when the chips are down we can call on the power of heaven to help us in our lives. Until we realise that, we live, as um, Aldo Uchtdorf says, below our privileges. That's so true. So very true. It's one thing to be in the gospel and following it, but to be living up to what Heavenly Father, Christ and the Holy Ghost are willing to offer us is another matter, isn't it? Yeah. And so we shouldn't feel bad about the fact that if we don't have that in our lives right we shouldn't feel guilty about that fact we should just recognize that there's more available there for us you know um tell me about your missionary service two questions what did you learn about your wife margaret 
um, from serving alongside yeah. with her, um, and that's you know post retirement, obviously. Yeah. And maybe you know, what did you know at the end of your mission that you felt like you didn't know at the beginning of it? With regard to Margaret, it was incredible for my confidence that she was there beside me and that she was she had as much inspiration as you know she had the same inspiration mm. that I could rely on her absolutely fully and completely so I knew these things right I, I knew that I could trust her I knew that I could ask her views on anything and I would get wise responses and inspired responses I knew that her commitment to the gospel and her, her faith in the teachings of God and Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost, I knew that couldn't be surpassed. Mm. So I knew all these things, so it was just so powerful to have her with me. And for example, in Zone Conference, teaching with the missionaries, always had Margaret teaching doctrine as well as myself. And you know, you could hear a pin drop whenever she mm. was um, teaching. She was a person of great substance to the missionaries. And you know, if ever there was a difficult issue to take up with the missionary that I thought she would be better at doing, she would do it without a, without a problem. Mm. After all, she, at this stage she had sons who were adults. Mm. Um, and there were th- but there were things that I wasn't aware of until recently after she passed away mm. when we had this video delivered to us from the missionaries of you know an hour-long video of, in memory of Margaret and when she met with the missionaries and particularly the sister missionaries she was a great comfort to them and you know a strength builder for them and she really involved herself in the work. She began to experience ill health, particularly in the last six months, but I didn't know, mm. right? I didn't realise until I later read her journal entries. And but she, she made up her mind. She said that she was going to keep going no matter what and no one would know. Mm. To see her, you would have thought she was absolutely in her prime, you know, physically and spiritually. And she was, but she was also hurting physically. Mm. So what am I saying? Faith is a very powerful thing. Mm. It can cause amazing things to happen that would otherwise not happen if we're willing to exercise it and rely on Heavenly Father to help us get there. So that was something that I really learned. Um, I I also learned that incredible power of of mission service to transform young adults into being amazing people. To me, there is no greater preparation for the rest of our life than serving the mission. Mm. This applies whether you're a young adult or a 60-year-old. It still is the best preparation for living the rest of your rest of your life. You will be exposed to so many challenging situations which are beyond your own resources to solve. So that you learn that living in the world is one thing and you can make some progress, but if you're living in the world and you are enlisting the help of Heavenly Father through your faith and commitment to the commandments, you will go further. 
Mm. You will be able to solve problems. The gospel can solve, help you solve these problems, problems that would be unsolvable if you didn't have the help of the gospel. Mm. Yeah, I'm reminded of that quote from President Benson when he says, men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He can deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, and pour out peace. Mm. Yeah. I think our, our prophet today, President Nelson, is just such a wonderful example of that. You know, When you look at his life, his um, professional capability, his musical capability, um, his power in church service, his ability to be a, a wonderful husband and father, all appear to be quickened by, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I think that the gospel is transformative in marriage because I know for Margaret and I, when I accepted the gospel, it was transformative because we were both committed to the same things. You know, we both wanted to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We both wanted to bring up our family in the nurturing of the gospel. We both wanted to play a part in spreading the gospel. We both wanted to be of service in the gospel to others. Think of the harmony and unity having those goals together brings. Um, it's really amazing and I would also say exciting because as I've been, Margaret only kept a detailed journal. She wrote many stories of her spiritual experiences. But she only kept a journal, she kept a journal for six years, I think from 1981 to 1987, about a year and a half after I accepted the gospel. And I've been reading it. Mm. It's exciting, right? Here we are just completely immersed in family and church. And it's just so exciting to read what's happening. Well, that's wonderful. Would you feel comfortable to share a little about Margaret's passing and I guess some of your experiences and lessons learned around those events uh, over the last few months? I wasn't prepared for Margaret's death. And so I went through, I went through a lot of grief and pain and heartache. And I, I think everyone does. But the one thing that made it so much easier was that we weren't in a secular marriage, mm. right? We were married under proper priesthood authority for time and all eternity in the house of the Lord. And therefore, I know that our separation is only temporary. And so it lessened the initial pain and uh, anguish to a good degree at the beginning of the grieving. But now, you know, all eight months or more has passed now, nine months. And um, the fact that we are sealed together for time and all eternity is a source of great joy for me. It means that as I live my life going forward, there's real purpose and meaning. I'm able to integrate Margaret into my life going forward. And can you imagine what a powerful help that is in grieving? Margaret was a great family historian. I know she would be excited about me being able to do family history and temple work for her. Mm. The fact that, you know, memories are really important in the grieving period. And the fact that Margaret left these great records of her spiritual experiences, she put so much effort into family albums, narrative and photo in these albums, which covered our married life together. 
Margaret had this great library. You know, most of them were spiritual books, church gospel-related books. Mm. And in many of them, she would write the points of eternal worth, I would call them. Mm. So I would, you know, now I can open a book and in the front blank pages, they're no longer blank, you know, there's Mm -hmm. these notes. And I can read them. And as I turn to the relevant pages where she's asterisked, says I get great insight into what she was thinking at the time. Mm. I understand what she felt was important. And so that's really a great encouragement and uplift to me. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the legacy of your spouse is very important in the grieving period. Mm. If you can leave a legacy for your spouse of memories and especially those things that are, are of eternal worth, that's going to be so helpful in going forward. I guess as we've spent time together over the last eight or nine months, you've had a really hard time in that grieving process. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about the purpose of suffering in our lives? You know, if people who are listening are going through similar or completely different trials that they, they, they feel are far more than they can bear or carry. Yeah. As someone who's a little further down that path, what advice might you have for them? Yeah, I think the first point is that at some time in our lives, suffering is going to play a part. It's going to be a, a difficult part of our life. Um, and that suffering is essential to our progression. And that progression will occur. One way that it will occur is through our faith in the gospel. If we can look at the atonement and we can understand that Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, he just he descended below all that we have, right? So no matter how much we experience, we know that he has experienced it all and he understands and that he paid the price for that suffering to be able to be lifted. But it takes takes our faith in his atonement we have to be trusting doesn't matter how the suffering occurs you know whether it could occur through death of a partner could occur through divorce could occur through you know terrible ill health and one of your beloved family passes away it could occur through financial disaster Mm. accident just so many ways in which suffering can come into our life and we can know that if we rely on Heavenly Father, His grace and the atonement of Christ, that they will be able to relieve that suffering for us if we exercise the faith. Now, it's not going to necessarily come immediately. It can take time. And as you said, you know, I, I think I just, I find it hard to believe and understand how painful and how much heartache and anguish there was, you know, mm. that I experienced in the loss of Margaret. But I think I can say to you that I am finding joy in life now, that I'm finding that joy from the truth of the gospel. I'm finding that joy from, you know, immersion in the scriptures. I think that prayer to Heavenly Father has been so helpful to me. And, you know, I have prayed so desperately, so many times for, for relief from the suffering. And, you know, that relief has come in many, many different forms. 
Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. It's wonderful My reliving some of those experiences and hearing some for the first time. So, Thank you for asking me. I hope you enjoyed hearing those experiences from Ted. What strikes me is the faith of this new member of the church and his ability to receive answers and guidance from a loving Heavenly Father. I think we can all learn a lot about having the Lord's guidance and help in our lives from those experiences. That's all I have for you this week until I speak to you again here in the Bishop's Office.